Welcome to another episode of the B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Today with Enzo Valerli, Head of Trade Marketing at Hilti, Switzerland. Also president of the HSK Alumni Industrial Club. Also investing himself as angel investor in startups and advising them on sales. Enzo, what's uh, I think also really interesting, before you led a team of seven salespeople, you did eight to nine million annual revenue, which means each one of uh, the sales reps in your team uh, closed around like one million plus minus. Uh, could you talk us a bit more how your journey went from business unit economics or business economics at HSK to your sales career? Hey, Manuel, thanks for having me on the podcast. Super, uh, super excited to talking with you about uh, sales topics. Uh, happy to give you a short introduction uh, about me, how I ended up in, in sales after uh, coming out of university. Uh, actually, I, uh, I founded a industrial club at the university in St. Gallen and was clear from the beginning that my interest would be uh, joining industrial companies and not going into banking and consulting. And then I joined a company called Sulzer in, in Winterthur in the corporate development, classical starting position, uh, business development, corporate development, M&A, financial topics, uh, super, super learnings uh, there in the first years. Moved into strategic marketing, uh, more pricing, more uh, country plans, more, uh, more these key account management setups. Uh, and then after four to five years, in that strategic corporate position, I asked myself about this customer that everyone talks about and that I had <laughs> never seen. Um, and then at that point decided that I needed to get closer to where actually the, the business is, uh, is happening. And that's why I then, uh, when I decided that I was looking for a, for a sales position, just to get really down to the action, uh, I applied for, for a position at Hilti deciding that that's probably a good company to, to join when you talk about B2B sales. And that's how I ended up in, uh, in Hilti about four years ago as a sales rep on the street in a red car selling drill bits and tools and, and, and services to, to our customers and did that for, for a couple of years before then joining now the marketing team. Quite, quite yeah. an interesting change, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, like I know, like three, four other people like that ended up uh, being in sales at Hilti. And I think in the personal dialogue, you mentioned like how many. I asked you how many years of sales experience do you have, like, and you mentioned like X, but sales years at Hilti actually count double. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I probably I'm not sure whether I actually said that or if someone else said that, um, but uh, um, I I would say that. We're surely intensive uh, in, in in how we try to do sales, um, and uh, and it's 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 a great experience that you get uh, at Hilti. Not sure whether you would say it, it's counting double, but uh, but for sure it's it's a lot of mind and, and a lot of planning um, and, and positive uh, energy going in 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 actually developing how we do sales and how we um, how we educate our people. Uh, so I would say yes, it, it surely counts the experience, um, and and then to be defined how much how much you would count it. But great experience. Yeah, yeah, no. It's not about the exact year, like exactly. about multiplier. But I think some people say like also that's at least the argument. Like join a consulting company, and you get within three years you get done what you would otherwise take five years because you just yeah. basically do more projects, do basically more different things. So you did it, a variety of of different projects, like starting really like on on in the car, not on the street anymore, and like bringing 9 million to P&L, basically like really 
also an account manager um, growing net sales by 6x to contract business by 2.5x. And then you change from area sales manager to basically project manager, like rolling out Salesforce. Uh, CRM is not always the most beloved topic of salespeople. And then just 10 months later, actually changed more towards trade marketing. So what were the kind of triggers for you to change positions and not just build a career where you want to maybe become VP sales at Hilti at one point in time? Um, I think what we try to do uh, at Hilti and what has proven to be quite a good good way in, in career building for our people in sales, but also in marketing, is that we connect the, the different functions with each other. So there's there's hardly ever uh, a career path where you start as a sales rep then you become an area sales manager, then you become a sales VP, and then you move ahead and, and become the GM. And that, that's usually not how it works. It's it's more that you start in one uh, kind of function, and then you you might get up one one function in, in the same, or one rank in the same function, but more often you will change into a different type of function, so from sales to marketing, from sales to, to our channels, to project management, and then you might get back to sales and say, okay, now I get some more experience and, and I get back and now I get the leadership experience to it. And then you might change back again in-house to another function with the leadership. So um, I think that's also how, how it played out for me in the end. I, I joined as a, I plan to join as a sales manager, uh, but took a stint as a sales guy before actually starting to manage the team, which was probably the best experience uh, ever to actually know yourself how it works. Um, and then after a few years in that, there was a great opportunity coming up in, in more project management where you actually needed a guy that knows the sales world. Um, and that yeah. was like a perfect match. And then that, that's how I transitioned into, into the more project and marketing functions. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that always like impressed me with Hildi's culture. That an interesting thing I find. And I would, uh, and maybe if I just can very quickly jump in, I think that's really that's core of what we do. I mean, we're a we're a fully integrated company, so we uh, it's one of our um, value propositions that we understand the customer problem and then we develop stuff to solve the problem. And I yeah. think as such, it makes sense that everyone at some point. Kind of has had contact with the customer so so most of the people that we have and, and and that get into senior roles at least one year they've been in sales um some more some less successful it's not for everyone but it doesn't matter it's the experience that that also counts and to some extent um yeah. and and i think that's that's actually valuable also for other companies this this kind of overlap um it it, it surely makes sense it helps us to to really focus our energy on on, on the customer success in the end yeah, and I love that everybody needs to spend that one year in sales pretty much at Hilti. Probably everybody like at University of St. Gallen should spend at least like a month yeah, yeah. door sales on the street doing dialogue marketing or something. Absolutely. What, what, what kind of stunned me, like just the pure number and like the, the percentage of people that work in sales at Hilti, because you obviously have like a quite a like really high quality product, like Swiss quality, like you're in premium pricing range, but you still have 20,000 sales guys out there basically talking to customers. What do you tell tech founders that basically say like my product is superior? It should I build it and they will come. It should sell itself. Well, I think the, there's one sentence. It's not about the product. Um, I think selling is always not about the product. You need to have a good product, or you need to be cheap. Uh, either way, um, Hilti is obviously going the premium segment with, with superior quality, solving problems of the customer. But it's not what helps. You really need to. You need to understand the customer. You need to find out what is his problem. What does he want? Uh, how do you how do you support him 
that he has a better future um, with whatever situation he has and how can you be part of that and and i think for that it's it's not for, for tech founders what, what i have experienced is that obviously there's a, a lot of focus on how is our product better than the competition yeah. mostly there is sometimes not even competition so how is it just a great product how can we prove we have the best cases um and it's important at to to some extent you have to have a minimum viable product to actually go out and sell uh, but then really getting this this reality check and understanding what the customer really needs um i think a lot of tech companies could maybe do that earlier um and, and get that first feedback a bit earlier and invest more in 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 sales resources early on but it's a hard trade-off i guess uh, especially when you're in startup and, and resources are even more um capped than, than maybe in, in large corporates yeah but boys a bit down to you, you build shit and you sell shit and everything is else is bullshit i mean it's not as easy as that but i mean these are kind of the focus things i think in switzerland we're pretty good at building things like not as good as at selling by the way um just for listeners like our business founders don't fare much better than like the really deep tech eth tech founders on the customer centricity part what I yeah. found interesting is you mentioned this kind of importance of drafting a future vision with the client before talking solution, before talking the how and even the what. I know you're a big fan of gap selling. Um, yep. What kind of sales methodology do you basically embrace at Hilti, but also with your own team? And like, do you basically see a certain style as an overarching company selling style or does it really depend on a team as well and on the market? I mean, I would say that we probably uh, generally try to focus on the customer need um, before we focus on our product or solution that solves that need. Uh, so also in our discussions with the customer, we, in, in all the teams, we, we try to make sure that we have a big discussion about what is the situation of the customer, what are his problems, how does he, how is he affected by these problems, and, and and what would happen actually if we solve this problem. So what what, what would it would be the benefit for the customer? And I think if you have such a such a discussion with uh, with, with, a, with a prospect, uh, and 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 you both agree on what would happen if the problem is solved that that is actually a better future for for the company and then you get into discussion about how you should or could be part of that of that uh, solution i think these are the best best discussions and the most uh, and, and the ones that, that lead to the best results from from own experience uh, we try obviously to 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 help everyone uh, in our sales force to to get there uh, it's not always easy obviously uh, otherwise everyone would do it um, even 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 the best salespeople not always uh, are able to do that. There's situational issues, etc. Um, but but we try at least to focus on that. That we uh, we really make sure that yeah, you 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 talk about the customer, you listen to the customer, and then you talk with him about the problems, and then you talk about your uh, your product. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's also like a really cultural shift that you you see. Like I don't think it's about age. It's just really about mindset and like customer centricity. But you mentioned that like the main piece of like your Salesforce rollout to 350 users was not like the system and the field mapping. It was really the target setting of salespeople, like from moving from input targets, like number of leads, data quality, et cetera, all the stuff people hate about CRMs to output and outcomes, like what sales, what what's margin, what's customer happiness. How do you embrace that kind of you could nearly say analog transformation rather than the digital transformation with people? besides the operating business while still generating revenue on a 
daily or at least weekly basis. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the one million dollar question, right? How do you really implement such uh, such complex systems um, successfully? And um, what we try to do is to really make sure that you touch the the cultural element, the, the change element, uh, at least as much as you cut uh, as you touch the the system element. Obviously, when you when you implement a, a new CRM, hopefully it's better than the old one. Um, but it will not solve your problem as a sales organization if people don't like it, if people don't feel positive about it, if they don't use it, if they don't use it correctly, and if it doesn't change the way um, they do their sales process or uh, supports the way they should be doing their sales process, right? Doesn't need to necessarily change it. Uh, so we invested a lot in in in, in actually talking with the sales yeah. about. Uh, uh, how should we do it? Why do we want to do it uh, in a different way? And, and and what's in it for you as a sales guy? How can you be more successful? Um, and, and why does it make sense then to use such a platform um, and, and not put it in your booklet uh, that you have on your on your on your passenger seat, uh, which is still valid valid tactics. But if you find out that it is something in for you and that you can actually be more productive. As a sales guy, that's usually what you want to be. You don't want to yeah. spend time. You want to actually see results in the end. So really focus on that change management part. And that's actually, it's a lot of effort because obviously it's not just about telling. It's about making people feel positive and understanding the why behind it. And it needs a lot of discussion. So uh, quite quite some interesting interesting developments there. Yeah, for sure. How have you managed basically people who were less like it's always easy with the people who are like yeah i've waited for this i love new systems i love new processes i love new approaches i love new quota like new balanced core cards which is like 20 percent and then 80 percent, especially if people who have been like in sales for like 20 years like running around with like black models kind of a pen and they're not not necessarily like data driven in like the, the 2021 sense how do you basically help these people embrace that change? And what do you do if if you see that people are not willing to embrace that change? Um, yeah, I guess you are talking about this this classical innovation adoption curve where you have these enthusiasts and the visionary guys that are uh, um, that are super eager to get the newest and, and and just jump on it. And then you have a couple of people that yeah they they go with the flow if it makes sense if they hear positive stories and then you have this active group that really just thinks it's not good and are super skeptic i mean um, they build around and in the coffee kitchen basically shout like sales is crap process yeah and, and you have them uh, and, crap. yeah and, and i think any project if like uh they their force is basically like significant yeah yeah and and it's and it's it's very important that very early on in the in the transformation project you know that you will have that and that you're not different. Um, any company might be tempted to think that we don't have them and, and it's gonna be different for us, but it's not. Um, every company has this this curve. You will have people that are super enthusiastic and you will have people that that hate it. Um, and, and you need to treat them differently, obviously. Yeah. Um, you, need to, you need to make sure that the guys that, uh, that are super skeptic, that you are really understanding what, the, what are the reasons um, that they are skeptic. Is it fear? Uh, oftentimes it's fear they uh, with a crm can be that they fear that they're going to be controlled big brother um, watching them etc and, and and how do you deal with that how do you frame communications around it um then there's also sometimes fear that they are not able to do it that they will lose their job because they're not going to be good enough you know there's a lot of 
negative emotions involved and you need to you need to be open and, and transparent about it and talk about it um but then obviously there's also negative energy in, in every organization and 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 there you probably shouldn't then spend too much time you need to identify it and then you've put your focus on uh, on the big group where you actually can can transform and um always you have this this positive change agents you have this one group uh, and you said five percent probably it's like that five ten fifteen percent that say oh great i love it let's let's how can we make it happen how how can i support yeah. and um and i bring you success stories and let's share it and let let me take up the flag and and, and push it and i think you need to find these people early on and and, and work together with them absolutely um, absolutely now, now let's talk a bit about your kind of startup and, and sales engagement like because you spent the last probably eight plus years at lot of large companies called Sulter and Hilti, uh, but you also like uh, really excited about helping startups either financially as an angel investor, but also more and more helping them with some sales advice and like um, basically helping them understand like how sales can work in a professional organization. Uh, what's basically your reason to not having joined a startup yet? <laughs> Well, to be honest, there's two different worlds, right? I mean, there's the corporate world, there's the startup world. Um, and when you're in a startup world, when you talk about it, it's always very romantic that it's uh, super entrepreneurial and everything is fine. And but, but obviously, it's there's also certain challenges. Um, and and when you hear people from startups talk about corporates, it's usually this the evil enemy that the corporate enemy right it's the apple versus ibm uh, story um and and it probably has something uh, corporates are more political um like a large large ships that don't move that fast etc uh, but actually when you are in it depends a lot on the company uh, so there are large corporates that are moving faster than others um and then when you're in a in a sales or in, in a very close to the customer function especially sales guy or sales manager that's probably one of the most entrepreneurial functions you can have even in a large corporate so um it's actually not that far away uh, maybe uh, you will have different resources uh, in a corporate so it's uh, i mean again as, as you said before at hilti we have roughly twenty thousand sales guys globally um so we also have a lot of people actually working to provide stuff to the sales guys that they can be productive we have invested a lot of money in the best tools and, and you know so that's also you, you learn a lot there's a lot of very good processes um and and then uh, obviously there's maybe less freedom to build than you would have in a startup so so there's i would say it's it's a balance you you have a lot of stuff that's that's also better or or nicer and 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 kind of good experience in corporates um and and what I like and what I what I find interesting is really to to have these learnings and and understand how can you transform or or or, or, or give such inputs to small startups that are maybe ten people and they are hiring the first sales guy and and that guy yeah. or the second sales guy and that guy doesn't know what to do because obviously he's he, he might be just fresh from the university and 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 that's also where I like what what you do with the sales playbook it's a uh, it's really advising uh this the startups on on a very crucial commercial function and 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 bridging the the experience from from the large corporate world from the most entrepreneurial part in the corporate world to startup i think that's 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 the interesting essence here yeah like th thanks so much for for sharing that i, I agree with like re the resource constraints sometimes as startups but also the freedom regarding the professionalization of the sales organization what we notice it's sometimes interesting that 
people who cross this 1 million ARR that maybe do 5 to 10 million. Some of them are really good. And some basically just got more funding and throw more people at the problem. But not every salesperson is bringing like 1 million in annual revenue, to put it very mildly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you tackle basically um, disparate performances from different salespersons if there is like one process? Like, what do you do if like sometimes sales is not this function where somebody's like 5 to 10 percent better, but like some pe person might bring in like 1 million and some person might bring in like 200K? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, in a way, there's two things to, to consider. I think one is um, you can always invest more resources and you will get more sales. Um, but that doesn't make you more productive. It just makes you more, it's just a function, right? If, it, if we have 20,000 people on the street, if we have 25,000 people on the street, we would probably grow 20% uh, just because you have more interactions with the customer. But yeah. it also costs you more. Um, the really in interesting case is how do you make your, whatever number of salespeople you have more productive and bring in more sales without investing more uh, in, 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 in people. I mean, not, not investing in the people, but getting more people on board. Um, and there actually comes, comes the question that you, that you say, how do you weed out the top performers from the low performers? How do you support the low performers to become better? And, and I think that's a lot of sales management uh, in the end. It's, it's how do you steer your team how do you how do you manage the pipeline what are the discussions you are having um and and where do you focus time on um i think that's a very important one um also like i mean you just got a young family like congrats to that uh and basically you're having like multiple hats on at basically like how do you where do you invest more energy like on maximizing your strengths versus basically let it not get weaknesses in a way because like venture capital for example in startup world is this Somebody put it like very successful VC is like, it's a bit unfair. Like with children, you try to teach everybody the same and like make sure nobody, no child left behind. How do you ask called the education campaign in VCs? It's basically like, let's just bet on the unicorn and push it and everybody else can die. That's fine. Like, I mean, technically that's the way yeah. you do it with uh, sales team. How would you recommend it for um, entrepreneurs as well to do it with the sales team? If they have one top performance, we are bringing two to three times on target earnings and one is really not that well. I mean, it's. I mean, at Hilti, we have a uh, kind of a strategy that we both expect. Kind of, we're in a performance-oriented culture, but we're also people-oriented culture. So it kind of has to to give you the balance, right? It's not. It's not about just getting the top performers and firing all the the, the low performers, but it's also not about accepting low performance and not doing anything about it. Uh, but yeah. you need to do it on a, on a people-oriented way. Um, so I think on, a, on any size of company, you will have to, for one thing, be clear about what is performance and what do you expect um, and how do you measure it. And then you will, you will have your team and you will always, regardless of how good the people are, you will have a top performer and you will have a low performer and you have some people in the middle. Um, and, and for me, it, it's really, it's about performance management with that low performer. Um, and there it's a lot about, is it willingness? Is it an issue of willingness? Or is it an issue of, of, of skills that you can, can close? And if it's a skills gap and you have a plan and it takes you six months and that person is actually willing to learn and you see a ben uh, an improvement, then I think uh, you need to invest and you need to support that person to, to become better. Um, but if it's a willingness problem that the person just doesn't, doesn't want to, it's not motivated, then you have a different discussion to, to yeah. have with, with that person. Um, all in all, I think this 
you can always invest in strength or you can invest in closing gaps where you where you're not good right weaknesses you, you're not allowed to say the word anymore but when i mean basically it, it's this right? yeah, um, and 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 for me i think that the most energy and the most positive developments in in people you will get when you invest where people have energy so where they're motivated they like something and where they actually believe they're good at um and, and it's like a two two times two matrix in a way, right? It's good at, yeah. not good at, I like, I don't like. Um, and this, I like it, I'm good at, super. Um, you don't have to do really anything. And then there's the, the box, I like it, but I'm not so good at, but I would like to be better at it. That's where you need to put the energy on because then the person is actually motivated to get better. But most of the performance discussions um, are around, you are not good at something, how can you become better at this? Um, and I think it's really about weeding out what is, where, where does the person want to become better and where does he not want to become better because he just doesn't have energy out of it. And, and I think that's very important when you manage it. Yeah, I think that the mental model and like the real reality of like what gives you energy and what drains energy is so important and different yeah. things give different people energy. Like I became very conscious about sometimes I tell people like, look, I'm getting energy from this. I can record four podcast episodes today afternoon before going on vacation because it's giving me energy. I don't get energy from deciding what I want to get for lunch, for example. And and the other like, thing, I agree that like as long as coachability, hunger and drive and uh, are there, like invest if basically like willingness to learn to improve is not. I mean, you can lead a human to the water, but you need they need to want to drink. Everything else is waterboarding and forbidden. And you shouldn't force people to get their head on the water then. Like, and then yeah, I, I would would agree. And then you're also not forced to stay around and have a look for ever, right? I mean, yeah. you, you can try your best and you should be a, a an inclusive culture. Um, but doesn't mean you have to not take any action at all ever. Um yeah, for sure. For sure. Now let me ask you some rapid fire questions, which we ask every podcast guest. Uh, and sure. we figure out they're a bit more rapid to fire than to answer. So um, we'd love to your, your reasoning why you answer that way as well. Um, do you prefer one Swiss francs of revenue from a new or from an existing customer and why? Let's say from a new one, because it means that you solve problems for a new customer and you might learn something new that you would not learn from an old customer. Um, but it's a difficult question because obviously you also want it from your existing customer because you don't want to lose them, um, which is one of the, the main main issues that a lot of companies have. They focus a lot. Once they start focusing on sales, they focus on get new sales. And then lifecycle management is kind of a bit unrepresented. But um, yeah, hard, hard question. But I probably would tend to say the new one first because you get new experience that can help you build also better product for your existing. Yeah, really interesting. I think customer success is still such a young discipline in, in especially yep. Switzerland, and there's so much to do. Um, yep. Yeah, on the road. Hard to say. Hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get a hundred k bonus, do you want to have it in cash or stock options? Well, it depends a lot on the company. Um, let's, let's say Hilti, and let's say one of your startup investments just goes IPO. Probably at the time in options. Um, it's it's investment into the future um, and. If it's a good startup and if it's healthy, then I believe in both of them. So um, I'll probably take the options. Sounds great. Love the entrepreneurial spirit. And then if you can hire a junior sales rep for 50K or a senior sales rep for 150K, which one do you take and why? 
I think both has its has its merits. Um, why you would do it? Generally, I would say that sales is a function that you can learn if you are really motivated. Um, and very often, more often than not, younger people are more motivated than the ones that have done something for a long, long time. So, on average, probably would opt for three times the younger guy than one time the more experienced guy. But it depends a lot on the team setup, and uh, and also not saying that every experienced sales rep necessarily needs to be demotivated because that's absolutely not the case. But yeah. I would probably tend to, especially in a startup world, to get three younger guys and and go with them and, and see who's the best one and and, and really going on and like uh, mutual learning and peer relationship as well exactly exactly um we actually have three junior sales guys right now at sales playbook and just like all the training us to basically ramp them up and build the material for that and the process. exactly and and, and, they, and they talk to each other and 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 build together yeah. so that's that's yeah, that, great they have tons of fun doing that probably mocking about me a lot which is <laughs> probably um, <laughs> And what, what's your number one source of improving your own sales skills besides like daily practice and coaching your own team? I mean, the one book that I loved to read about sales is Gap Selling by Keenan. Um, I really think it's a it's a fundamental book for that every salesperson should read. It really gives you a very good explanation about this discovery phase and how you how you talk with a customer about um, what his not only what his problem is and what the solution could be, but the effect it would have if you solve the problem. Um, I really like that book and I, I, I can only recommend it. Yeah, Sounds great. And what do you wish you would have known when you were 20 and I think right now you're like 34, roughly? Probably that there's a, a lot of stuff out there to, to go after and, and try out that uh, that you don't know back then um, and you will you will get a lot of experience the more you talk with with different people from different functions and and, and expand the network um, so super super interesting to to tackle also topics with with people that you don't have a personal connection um, I started doing that a couple of years ago um, and uh, that obviously you can start early as early as possible and it really broadens your horizon. Yeah, amazing. I, I think that like to be a master, you need to remain a student. Curiosity is, is a great trait exactly. about that. Uh, I always see like when talking to you, I think you've been the only person getting me up at like 7.30 for a call in 2021. So congrats to that as well. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Uh, and then like, I mean, now it's 2021, new decade. I think B2B sales in Switzerland is still, it's literally still day one. But what do you see as emerging trends? Um, how will B2B sales look like in 2025? I have the feeling that, especially with, with what you have started in, in, in advising a whole lot of startups on, on the sales process, is that that they are actually understanding that it's that it's extremely crucial to, to invest in that. Um, I think there's some kind of, of understanding now that you need to invest in sales and it's not only about building the best product, but it's actually about also making sure that you'll be able to sell it and, and, and solve the customer problem. And I have a feeling that this is improve, is, is increasing um, and increasingly so the case in, in younger startups that they, they hopefully invest um, earlier in, in these resources. But, but it's only a feeling, not, not, not so sure. I don't know whether you, whether you would confirm that from, from your perspective. Uh, absolutely. I think that's, that's kind of like the, the kind of mental or like human goal for me like all the sales playbook and beyond to 
improve the sales state of the nation a bit in Switzerland and also create more hunger and empathy to really solve customer problems and not just make money and for sure not just build tech uh, yeah. that might not that doesn't have an impact if nobody uses it uh, so yeah, I would say that that it, it's going into the right direction there yeah yeah still still day one like but we're moving forward <laughs> true, <like we>. true. <laughs> that sounds great and uh before we wrap it up any last thing you'd like to pass on to listeners to any b2b entrepreneur uh going into this kind of sales world um yeah maybe to close up i think it's it's something that a lot of of, of not sales or not commercial people um kind of forget is that sales is not not that guy that comes to your door and sells you a vacuum cleaner um i think a lot very often time sales is confused with this pushy guy that wants to sell you a new car and you know and a lot of features with it and and that's actually not what sales is um you're actually quite a bad sales guy if you do that and yep. i think if 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 people realize that sales is actually more listening to the customer and then finding solutions together it's actually more consulting but you in the end close the deal um if you change a bit that mindset then and maybe that's also lowering a bit the boundaries of whether sales can be interesting or not. I think you said before that there should be more people from from business universities choosing a be choosing a career in sales, and I, I can agree that it, it's helping everyone to have that learning. Um, but a lot of people don't see it as a as an interesting option because they still have this car dealer in in their mind, which which yeah. for me is not is not the sales guy uh, in, in the end, even though he has the title. Um, maybe that that's something to kind of shift the mindset a little bit. Yeah, aiming aim to that. Life insurance works also as, a, as an example, but uh, let's improve that more to increase, improve the reputation of sales in Switzerland. So yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks so much, Enzo. Uh, joining us today, head of trade marketing at Hilti Switzerland, but over a decade now ago, uh, founding the industrial club at the University of St. Gallen hitting 400 plus members in less than two years, which is also a form of sales. Then after a successful career at Sulzer, taking over a team of uh, seven account managers, bringing that nine millions to one million plus per sales rep uh, a year, and then changing two times to change culture um, for within a CRM transformation and now heading trade marketing. Uh, congrats to everything that you're doing. Um, people can find you uh, if they just type in Enzo, head of trade marketing, Hilti, pretty much on LinkedIn reach out also um you're still up to invest into kind of not me too startups but people um startups with a strong tech can be sauce can be physical products I understand and also help them uh, basically ramp up their sales uh, themselves thanks. cool thanks manuel thanks for having me and uh, good luck uh, in the future also with the podcast and with all the business you're doing at sales playbook quite quite a cool uh, stuff uh, i really like to follow you there and uh, uh, props for it and, and good luck for the future Thanks so much.